0: And then the Gospel from John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says to His disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, so that where I am, there you may be also." And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the Word of God. For the people of God. God. We started with disciple confusion last week as we read the scripture and looked at Jesus using these mixed metaphors and how the disciples struggled to understand. Well, in this passage today, we find more confusion. Remember, John's writing his gospel in a time frame of three years as he tells the story of Jesus' public ministry. They have three different years where the disciples are following him, listening to him, and learning. Now, the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they kind of condense the public ministry into a single year. But John is writing after three years of having the disciples and Jesus together. And here they are in this passage, in the last night, that Jesus will be with them in the the flesh. And as he speaks to them, they plead ignorance. They seem to not understand. And verse 5, as Jesus is telling them about what's going to happen, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Then in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. They seem to act as if they have no idea who Jesus is and what He's been talking about what He's been doing. Verse 9, Jesus says to Philip, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I think you can hear the Confusion on the part of the disciples and maybe even the frustration on the part of Jesus. He's been looking at these same 12 and this other band that are with them for three years teaching, telling them, showing them who he is and what God is doing in the world. And then they act like they have no idea what's going on. Well, chapter 14 actually begins, the scene begins in chapter 13. You will probably remember in chapter 13, Jesus is with his disciples. They're sitting down for supper. He takes off his outer robe, and he begins to wash their feet. Then he, betray, then he foretells that one of them is going to betray him. Another is going to deny him, and the rest are going to desert the inner group is fracturing things are getting very tense and so as we pick up this scene this story in chapter 14 Jesus is offering words of comfort he's telling these disciples there's still a place for them do not let your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. in the face of betrayal, in the face of those denying him and deserting him, Jesus is saying to them, There's still room for you. Jesus proclaims a message of grace and inclusion even for betrayers and deniers. It's a call to them to trust him and his way. Just a word of caution as we look at all this, often a couple of verses out of this passage are taken out. It's often what we call proof texting and Talk about one verse as if Jesus said it as a doctrinal statement, like I'm the way and no one comes to the Father except through me, as a statement about faith and believing separate from all the other things Jesus says about the way. We are often at our worst as Christians when we proof text, when we pull verses out to use them to exclude someone else and say that God doesn't really love them. I would suggest to you if you read the whole passage beginning in 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, you'll hear throughout Jesus is talking about bringing people into the way, including people. And what is the way? How can we know what the way is? The way is a life of helping and healing, serving, and loving. There's a lot of theological debates about the way, but Jesus makes it, I think, pretty clear in chapter 13. When he begins to leave the table, take the role of a servant and wash the feet of the disciples. Now, they object, but he overrides them and says, no, this is the way. If you're going to have any part of me, you have to understand this. Then right after that, I'm in chapter 13, verse 12. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. John says, after he had washed their feet had put on his robe and returned to the table. He said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Jesus says so clearly, the way is the way of a servant. The way is the way of serving and helping others to work for the good of others, even though he's got people around him who are betraying, getting ready to betray him. After Judas leaves, Jesus is still talking to the disciples. This is still in chapter 13. He's talking about what he's done for them and how they should follow him in Verse 34. He says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. So chapter 13 and 14 are all part of the same scene, all part of the same teaching. I put in your outline, chapter 13, Jesus is saying, here is the example of love and service. Do as I do, love one another. That is the way. So later, a few minutes later, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I think it's pretty clear he's saying this way of love and service is the way, the truth, and the life. It's the path. It's the way to abundant life. It's my way. And if you want to know the Father who loves me, who I'm representing, you've got to know the way of love and service. The good news here is that Jesus is saying, here is a God you can know and count on. Just as I am loving and serving you, I'm doing exactly what the Father has sent me to do. So you can be sure that God the Father is here to love and serve you as well. But not only that, if you're able to grasp that, if you believe that, as John says, then you too can do works of love and service. You, too, can know this abundant life and this intimate relationship with God. All through the Gospel of John, he talks about the intimacy between Jesus and God. And now, in this passage, he talks about, Jesus does, how we can be connected to God in the same way. It's consistent throughout the Gospel, this Gospel of Incarnation. Let me read you just the first few verses of the gospel of john so you can hear it this is how it begins in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things came into being through him and without him not one thing came into being and then that's still in that first chapter of john in verse 14 He goes on to say, and the word that he's been telling us about, the word became flesh and lived among us. John sees this great connection between God and Jesus and says we can be a part of that. This indwelling sense of Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. And if we see Jesus, we have seen God. The key here is is that if you know Jesus, you know God. If you know the Son, you know the Father. And if you know the works that Jesus is doing, and you want to be a follower of His, you can do the same works. You can be a part of God's embodiment of love in the world, even as Jesus was. I think our United Methodist Women grasp this theology of incarnation this idea of embodying the love of god in the works that we do In some of their official statements i put one in your outline the united methodist women shall be a community of women whose purpose is to know god and to experience freedom as whole persons through jesus christ and then as even re shared in the prayer This idea of putting faith, hope, and love into action, it's the same theology. And then they go on to say that they can provide resources to help people grow spiritually, become more deeply rooted in Christ, and put faith into action. It's an incarnational theology. The Gospel of John is probably the one who talks about this the most. The United Methodist women may be the group who live it out the best. Let's not make the mistake I made as a child when I saw my mother gathering with her friends and having tea and coffee, that that's all the United Methodist women did was get together and socialize. That's not the case. United Methodist women are 800,000 women strong. Together, they contribute some $20 million each year for programs and projects around the world. They're serving others. They're helping and serving others all over the globe, more than 100 countries, day in and day out. And not only do they serve, but they're willing to tackle some of the most difficult issues society faces. They deal with chronic poverty that trap women and children they take human trafficking head-on their program this afternoon is about preventing children from going through school into prison they believe that we can do things to break that to prevent that pipeline of funneling children into prison so often the children that are funneled that way are children coming out of poverty or children who are children of color. But the United Methodist women, unlike so many of us who see these big problems and think that's too big for me to take on, the United Methodist women take it head on. They say we can do something, and they pray, and they study, and they strategize, and they work together to be part of the solution to make a difference in the world. You can see when you begin to look at their ministry that they're empowered as Disciples of Christ, they believe what Jesus says in this chapter 14, that you can do the works that I do, and in fact, even greater works, because I'll still be with you. I'll still be empowering you. Let me give you one more example. The closest mission site for United Methodist Women to us is and Hill Center over by Tahlequah. They have been serving over there since the 1940s. In fact, it goes so far back. Oklahoma at that time had a Western United Methodist Conference and an Eastern Conference. It was the Eastern Oklahoma United Methodist women who saw the need. Some of the poorest counties in the entire United States are in Eastern Oklahoma. Many there are descendants of the Cherokees who were forced march here on that terrible trail of tears. They established a center. The national unit sent two nurses to help begin to provide health care and other services. They've grown now into a comprehensive ministry, you could say, where they're addressing health needs, but also employment and food needs and all kinds of things like that. One of their workers put it like this in terms of the work they do. She said, it's a remote and rocky area without much infrastructure. So we win at everything, she says, whether it's teen pregnancy or obesity or poor health. We're seventh in the nation in meth production. Rape and domestic abuse are high and education is extremely low. And it's a mean area, she said. We have the second highest number of white supremacists in the nation. There are lots of hills and hollers and heavy forests where people can disappear. And because we're poor, law enforcement is almost non-existent. People can come over here and hide out. And because people are so isolated, a right-wing conservative viewpoint can be carried to the extreme. A lot of churches here preach hate. They think it's a godly thing. Cooks and stands in the middle of that as a beacon of hope and help, loving and serving those most in need. I'll tell you the story of just one woman was a nurse. She began to take some illicit drugs. She realized that she might hurt a patient because she was on drugs now. She left her job. She became fully addicted. Soon she was arrested. She was on her way to prison before, before she was sent a judge gave her a chance to go to drug court, which she took. And going that route gave her an opportunity to be a different kind of program. One of the sites that was working with people coming out of drug court was Cookson Hills Mission. She chose that. She was able to go there and work in a jewelry store. I want to read to you what she said about what happened to her. She said, this job got me back into society. It's the longest I've held a single job in my entire life. The pay is decent, and it's something I can do even with a record. There aren't a lot of jobs out there for people with criminal records. Now she's a part of a United Methodist Church. Instead of serving a prison sentence, she's serving as the secretary of her UMW at her local church. She's come to know Jesus and the love of God. She is a perfect example of what Jesus is talking about. This image from the passage today is about a Jesus that can be known. Surely this woman has come to know Jesus and the power of God's love. We too can know God and know that this is a God who loves us who desires to have a relationship with us, who wants to be a part of our lives, who is coming to us over and over again through the risen Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit coming to you, drawing you, seeking you, inviting you into the same relationship that Jesus is talking about when he says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, and you can be in that relationship too. John says in chapter 14 that we can know God through the person of Jesus or through the works of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we read from the Gospel of Luke. He said we can know Jesus in the breaking of the bread. We'll have that opportunity this morning. But as you come forward, you can come with assurance that you can know God and God is here with you. Or as Jesus put it at the beginning of what we read this morning, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Amen. And thanks be to God.